But unlike most weeks, Dan, I don't. I don't have a witty saying here, so let's just give up and well, say... Okay, let's sit back and let the music play a little bit longer then. Okay. I'm okay with that. Never heard the end of this song. Do we need to let it play until the end of it? We do. That's You don't know this. You don't know this little editing trick. And thank you, Tony, by the way. But uh, if you just listen to this song, it just ends. And it ends so so nicely. <laughs> it's it. What he did... What he did for us. Tony doesn't get enough love, but he doesn't, we might but have to show him some love later. He will tonight on this exciting installment of Men Seeking Tomahawks, the variety talk and independent music program that you've come to, um, you know, kind of not hate totally, which is which is nice of you. We appreciate it. Uh, we, being uh, the perpetually confused super fantastic jack drastic alongside my little buddy mama's fancy boy danny franks hyphen matthews danny how are things on the other side of town today living the dream and you know like you said just trying to keep people from from hating us isn't that life like you know when you start off and you're a young child like you just want everyone to be your friend you want the teachers to like you you want your parents to like you you want your siblings your friends you want everyone to like you then as you get older, you realize, like, I kind of just, like, if people just leave me alone or don't hate me and don't, like, come after me, hmm. then I'm kind of okay. Like, if they're just, like, you know, we'll leave them alone. Okay, that's good enough. Like, hmm. just be in the leave me alone zone, hmm. and I'll be okay. Danny is Switzerland. Uh, I think I'm more of Morocco, which I don't know what that means at this point entirely. But <laughs> Somebody's going to look that up, and you're going to regret saying you're Morocco. I will. I certainly, I most likely will. That being said, you know, Dan, there is a lot to say about confidence and just, you know, loving self, self-loving, if you know what I mean. So, Danny, I know you had a good idea, a topical idea of uh, relative, uh, recent relevance, if you will. So what is it that, uh, that was on your mind, Dan? What is it we needed to talk about this evening? Yeah, so, you know, like I will often do in the evenings, very unhealthy habit of mine is to go through Twitter and spend several uh, minutes, if not hours, kind of winding down my day, checking out all the cesspool talk going on. Just destroying that circadian <laughs> rhythm, just That's annihilating right. it, punching it in the yeah. face repeatedly. Never go to sleep after that. But no, I, I came across an article about... Uh, what I would call somebody that is maybe would maybe be considered a fallen hero or a fallen icon or definitely a fallen uh, kind of pop culture figure from my youth, uh, something that had recently happened to him. I shared that article with you, and soon after that, I thought, you know what? We could do a whole episode about this, about people who were influential to our, our young lives, our youths, and uh, kind of recap some of those that maybe uh, haven't ended or aren't currently in a situation that we can still look up to. So that's what I want to do. Fallen heroes and icons of our youth. Mm. Just a little bit of schadenfreude for you folks. So guys, coming up next, we revel in the fallen heroes of our yesteryear. But first, as we said previously, that, uh, that guy that we both know and adore, and most likely lots of you do too as well, Tony Ferraro. He recently celebrated a birthday, Dan. I just, uh, I don't know if you know that, but I know that. And to celebrate, he released some new, new music and coincidentally, some good, good music. 
and they're the same thing. It just works out. It's nice that way. So here we go, guys. Some brand new Tony Ferrero with his buddy and our buddy, Daniel Markham. This is aggressive marketing campaign, and it can be heard right here on the men seeking tomahawks. Experimental pop garage lo-fi soul from Texas. That's not how I describe it, but that those were all the tags that uh, that Tony put on there. Tony Ferrero and Daniel Markham with the track "Aggressive Marketing Campaign" and uh, just a little bonus content here, Dan. A little bit of a pro tip for you. Yeah. It was recently Tony's birthday, so we can say Tony. Happy belated birthday. But they don't want you to know this, Dan. But I do. You can always, 365 days of the year, 
wish someone a happy belated birthday. That's just a that's little good. bit of a pro tip for you. And that's good to know. I wasn't sure, but that is good to know because a podcast, Jack, you might not know this. You can listen to it anytime you want. So several years from now, when someone listens to this episode in the archives uh, and they feel like reaching out to Tony to wish him a happy birthday, according to you, to do that's it. appropriate. Just do it. Just say happy belated because you can you literally say that to anyone, anytime, anyone, Dan. No, you cannot. If you wish someone a happy belated birthday on their birthday. You're wishing them last year's birthday. Oh. You're you're you didn't talk to them that that year. So, but no. then they might think you forgot their birthday. They might, but they were wrong, or at least they might be wrong. So, Dan, influential people of our yesteryears and their respective falls from grace. As this was your fantastical topic, I will hand the relay race baton to you. Thanks, Jack. Uh, yeah, I mentioned somebody uh, that kind of came into the news recently that, that inspired me to do this subject uh, for the show today. So let's kick it off with that. And Jack, this subject is from a TV show that was, the, the TV show more than this person was influential to me. Uh, the year was 1993. So uh, I'm thinking for me, that would have been second, third grade, somewhere in that window. Uh, the television show Mighty Morphin Power Rangers debuted in the United States. Was was this show a, a big player in your household? Such a big player. This was like uh, Fox Kids, which back when you would come home from school and you would turn on the television and there'd be a little, uh, what would you call it, a block of TV shows that were geared just towards you. All the commercials were for people your age. All the TV shows were for people your age. And I definitely remember coming home from school, uh, felt like daily and turning on Fox, uh, it was a UHF station back then, turning on Fox Kids and watching the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, uh, followed very quickly by me going outside and playing Power Rangers with all the neighbor kids. Like, this was a this was a thing. And we might get into maybe uh, in future episodes kind of talking about TV shows of our youth because I think there's a lot of action there. Sure. Uh, but this particular uh, person that was related to the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, one of the five core originals, uh, and anyone that knows anything about the Power Rangers, there's been like dozens and dozens of series and spinoffs. But this person's from the original. He's the original Red Power Ranger. Uh, the name on his on the show when he was in human form was Jason. Uh, his real-life stage name, Austin St. John. And his real-life, real-life name, in the eyes of God, uh, Jason Lawrence Geiger. Uh, lots of names, which is funny because it's like indictment. All three of these, yeah. <laughs> all three of these names were on it. But it was uh, Austin St. John, aka Jason Lawrence Geiger, aka the Red Power Ranger. That was kind of wheels off for uh, for an indictment. Yeah, uh, and I guess I, I've tipped my hand here, but indictment uh, because Austin St. John was indicted uh, right across town from me, actually McKinney, which is the city right next to where I'm at, uh, during a morning FBI raid this week. Never a good sign, Jack. No, no, no story that begins with an early morning FBI raid ends well. No, and this one didn't end. Uh, well, we don't know the ending, but so far, so, uh, not so good because a federal indictment alleges that 18 people, including this former Red Ranger, attempted to defraud the Small Business Administration's Paycheck Protection Program. This was put in place, Jack, to help those small business owners negatively affected by COVID-19 uh, and there's actually been a whole lot of fraud all around that, and Mr. Uh, Red Power Ranger happened to be the, the center of one uh, that stole, it was a stealing, uh, $3.5 million from the SBA. Gosh. 
No, that thing didn't roll out very well whatsoever, and uh, it's it's unfortunate to hear that being the case with uh, the Red Ranger of of our Ute. Yeah, um, yeah, it did not roll out well. So as a small business owner myself, who definitely had to, to get involved in this paycheck protection program, I was lucky enough to to dot my I's and cross my T's and get the paperwork in on time, and, and my business and my employees were able to benefit from this. But I know a lot of people who weren't uh, because the government basically set aside a certain amount of money to distribute through the, this means. And unfortunately, because the demand was so high and, and also because there was a whole lot of swindlers involved, like Tom uh, Brady, Tom like Brady, Tom Brady, Tom and, Brady. And, and the Power Ranger, and the, uh, that Tom money Brady could not... Tom Brady, the Power Rangers. Tom Brady, the Power Ranger. Um, but no, and, and you know, I, I started looking in a little bit to this guy for this episode, and it uh, turns out he's, he's maybe not the most savory character. Uh, he was known to speak out against the BLM protesters. Uh, wasn't a big fan of, of athletes taking their knees during the national anthem. Uh, so maybe just not a good dude in general. Maybe we should have seen those signs. And th- this is something that is interesting, and I might have a follow-up to this particular thing because next weekend at the time of this recording, I am going on a field trip, which I haven't told you about yet, uh, but this this Power Ranger is scheduled to be there. So I'm going to have to report back on if I have a, a close encounter of the third kind with him. You know, you just never tell me anything anymore, Dan. But what's interesting to me here is that, like you said, this guy kind of uh, goes out there on the social media, if you've ever heard of the social media, Dan, and says the not good things to say. But what I had heard, maybe in the last couple of years, I don't remember when I heard this, but apparently that initial... Uh, series the the first Power Rangers series I mean that was a cultural phenomenon over here that was the first time the well I can't say first time but it was one of the most successful times that a uh, a superhero slash kaiju series for children really imported very well and very broadly uh, but I remember recently reading about how the guy Billy who played the Blue Ranger Mm. was gay and that David Yost I believe was his name wow hey way to go Dan uh, it's uh I'm I know you, my original five actually my original six but go I, on I am impressed uh you know the Tommy too but apparently these kids uh the Red Ranger and the rest of the the cast were bullies to Billy the the blue the the gay blue ranger which was I'll not say at least two of them Jason this man and then Tommy who played the green and later the white ranger those were the two the two culprits I, I yeah. believe I don't want to throw Amy Joe Johnson or uh, or uh, okay now I'm gonna now I'm losing it because I don't remember the yellow ranger no. who lots of tragedy but she's Greenie. she's yeah uh, she passed away in a car wreck did uh, she in the Breaking early 2000s news. holy and cow. then uh, the black power ranger. Um, that was the color um, of his. That was the color of his costume, Jack. Um, who also is going to be on my field trip next week. But yeah, I believe I believe they were okay. It was old okay. old Tommy and old uh, Jason that were were the bullies of one one Billy. I'm disappointed. I am disappointed, Dan. Now, not the worst thing that's happened to a Red Power Ranger, though. I don't know if you remember this. Several years ago, uh, a later uh, later. A series, I guess you call it, of the Power Rangers, not Mighty Morphin, but one of the other ones. 
Uh, there was a Red Power Ranger, uh, and his name on the show was Rocky. Uh, and t- stop me if you've heard this before, but he uh, was convicted of killing his roommate via samurai sword. Okay. Straight so. decapitation. Wow. Uh, I'm... I am he didn't make the cut of this episode because I was not. Uh, I did not admire him the same way drift, I admired the original. <laughs> you know, Dan, I'm I'm moved on several fronts right here. A, your uh, incredibly deep knowledge of Power Rangers is coming out of nowhere. You you really are your 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 father's son in terms of just demonstrating things that <laughs> talents that nobody knew you had. And nobody uh, cares to know I had. But then you're telling me about all sorts of uh, things related to the Power Rangers that uh, how could I have known? So how? Okay, so this was your installment. This was your installment of the uh, Fall from Grace, influential people of your yesteryear. So how? Not to sound too much like Doctor Phil, but how did it make you feel to find out about Jason Shatter uh, just being a POS? Yeah, I mean, you know, I like I said, the the series as a whole was what kind of was influential to me, and not really in a way like I didn't take up, um, you know, uh, the martial arts or anything like that. Breakdance fighting, um, like the. But the my Black parents Ranger. would tell me they did spend a lot of uh, Christmas gift money on Mighty Morphin Power Rangers gear, and I do remember the White Tiger Zord was uh, the gift of the year, and. My mom has a fun story about how she visited every Toys R Us in, in the greater North Texas area trying to find one and uh, all those fun things. But yeah, so I would say this didn't like influence me in like a gut punch kind of way, but it's definitely, you know, you, you, you wish good stories came out instead of bad stories, right? Yeah, I, I think so. Yeah. So, so what about you? I gave you a, a heads up about what this episode was about because I wanted you to, to bring some of your, your fallen heroes to the table as well. You know, I I had some I had some sit down thinkings about this episode and some of the people that uh, were influential to me as a child and maybe where they are now and how those two images don't quite match up as as you might like them to and and the the one that really uh, stood out to me initially or, or or most so was what I would say was my my baseball hero. When I was a kid. Now, if you're if you're a thirty something year old man, that means you were watching baseball in the '90s. Then, likely, it's pretty easy to say that your your sports hero let you down a little bit. And uh, mine in question, Dan, was the uh, the great first baseman of those Houston Astros, the uh, oddly batting stanced goateed Jeff Bagwell. Mm. I was a huge fan. And and I think uh I think it's fun to point out how weird his batting stance was because very much like uh golfers, baseball batting stances have become such a science that 99% of batters now pretty much have the same stance like it's it's so formulaic but you know there was a time when like the Lee Trevino's of the golf world and the Jeff Bagwell's and Gary Sheffield's of the uh the baseball world could come up with their own homebrew you know stance and that to me was a was a fun you know kind of wrinkle that you just don't have anymore 
Yeah, I do remember that. And the even like the Sega Genesis video games, like the players would have distinctive bat stances. Like you'd yeah. have I, I remember some of the best ones where Ken Griffey Jr. kinda had the high over his head with a like he almost like his arms created a diamond around his head. It was definitely interesting. Then you had the weirdest, which is Mickey Tettleton. I don't know if you remember that. No. Uh, but put that in your Google machine, and you'll see uh, Mickey Tettleton holding his bat almost like on the ground as the the pitch is winding up. It was oh, uh, wow. really interesting. But yeah, that was such a cultural thing. Is like, yeah. you know, you'd be at the your little league game, and you'd immediately know Splits. what player what player that person was emulating like if they've uh, got their you know if they're spread out in you know sumo squat style you know okay that's a bagwell fan right yeah. there yeah well not only the split the sumo splits but then he also had a bunch of broken knuckles so he had like those boxing gloves i don't know if you yes. remember that but he had like these like nowadays it would be like ufc type things <laughs> like on his head so yeah. he just it was like moose johnston too it was like it was almost like cyborg humans that were playing your sports that's what really that's what really drew me to it but also I was from Houston right so I mm. had to support the local team so I feel like just to give the benefit of the doubt here we should kind of set the table about where the scene was with baseball in the 90s so you and I have been alive in uh, four decades now not to one two three four five maybe five decades and in that the right 80s 90s aughts teens and now yeah the 20s. math is weird but it's definitely spanned yes. five decades how we've, weird is we've that? both been alive for five decades uh and i would say that baseball was in its worst uh condition in the 90s you you had a uh, a really messy strike big conflict very similar to what we just went through between owners and players and it basically killed the 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 popularity of the sport and what was credited with the saving of the game was uh the chase to break the all-time home run record and there were mainly two participants in that chase one uh sammy sosa of your uh, chicago cubbies and mark mcguire of the uh st louis cardinals uh, these two kind of led what what you could be what could be called a new era of baseball players they were massive muscular and uh home run crushing and uh of this batch of uh home run bangers uh, my local one jeff bagwell was you know definitely not a, a mcguire or sosa in terms of their popularity but he was a massive dude you know he's hitting 30 40 home runs a year the astros were never in that era able to get past the big dogs of the time the atlanta braves for example so th this guy wasn't a uh wasn't he was definitely a, the, a big name but wasn't one of the biggest names and so when it kind of came to light that the mcguires and sosas and Consecos and basically every other guy who's uh you know, you could see the chest hair between the buttons <laughs> on their jerseys. Just like splitting that jersey, just begging to to yeah. open me up. They just, you know, once we all realized that they were sticking syringes in their buttockses, Jeff Bagwell was definitely one of the guys that you could pretty much say, yeah, that was one of the guys. Now, it's never been confirmed, but um, that does suck, right? It is cheating. And it's and it, it 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 definitely has tarnished that era of baseball, whether you like it or not. 
And I will say that it was a bummer, you know, because this was a guy who, again, wasn't one of the flashy superstars out there in the world. He was, uh, you know, we were playing in the dingy Astrodome. It felt like uh, it wasn't a major market team. It was our team. Larry Durker was the manager. He was a guy who was wearing Hawaiian t-shirts, calling the games, and then all <laughs> of a sudden becomes the manager. So it had kind of a funny allure to it. Uh, you had Lima time, which was a funny Hispanic uh, pitcher, relief pitcher. He was a great guy. There was it was just you know all the little bitty quirky things that I love about baseball. And then this this massive Goliath guy who would just crush thirty home runs a year. So yeah, a little bit of a bummer, you know, to find out, you know, we're cooking it a little bit. Yeah. So. Um- this isn't one of my fall from grace guys, but yeah, Rafael Palmero was one of the ones that kind of uh, had that same effect for me. He was a big time uh, Mr. Ranger. He wasn't considered Mr. Ranger exactly, but like he was just such a, seemed like a fine, upstanding citizen. And then, yeah, he really had a big fall from grace because he was one of the people that did get called to testify at Congress and finger wagging, finger wagging, you know, lied, you know, but came out that he was definitely one of the, one of the big perpetrators. And yeah, that was a, that was a bummer. Now, uh, if if you may, for my next one, because I think it transitions very nicely into one of mine, and this is one that maybe would be a head scratcher on the on the surface, but this is one Kurt Schilling. Yeah. Uh, okay. I don't. Know. I, you told I've got me. a story for this. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So yeah, I'm I'm very confused by this because I feel like for a lot of reasons that guy's a superhero to a lot. So very curious as to where you're going with that one. But before I allow Daniel to enlighten me. We do need to hear some more awesome music. This time, we're going to go to the other side of the ocean, Dan, and hear some indie music from London. This is singer, songwriter, guitarist Eleanor Collides with Silent Room on Men Seeking Tomahawks. Too loud at me 
indie music from London. That was Eleanor Collides with Silent Room. Can't get over the fact that that is a one-man music project, and all of that singing, songwriting, and guitarist from one homo sapien. And And a happy belated birthday to him, by the way. As always. So I didn't mention this earlier because we were too busy lauding over our buddy But if you want to hear more from any musician featured on the program, there is but one place you need to go, and it's menseekingtomahawks.com. So, Dan, there is a man who I am certain is a hero in the towns of Phoenix and Boston, and you're about to besmirch his name. (laughs) So go ahead and let me hear you. Why is it that uh, Kurt Schilling somehow inexplicably made this list for you yeah so first confusing point is why he maybe made my list of someone i i looked up to as, as a kid and stop me if if this was something that applied to you but in little league when i played early 90s whatever your team was you kind of instantly like whatever your team name was you kind of instantly became a fan of whatever that pro team was and for me uh, i was on the phillies for several years uh, and in and, and kind of those early 90s, that was a wheelhouse for Philadelphia Phillies, uh, big time. They actually made the World Series in 1993, but yeah, Darren Dalton, Lenny Dykstra, John Crook, all those guys were the big the big boppers from the Phillies, and the star pitcher was Kurt Schilling. So that's kind of where I became a fan of Kurt Schilling at a, at a young age, and uh, he was the star pitcher there, and he actually went on to win a World Series with the Diamondbacks, so... Thus, your your reference of Phoenix, and won two more times with the Boston Red Sox. And I don't know if you know this, but he retired with a postseason record of eleven and two, which is the best postseason uh, pitching record ever. So, wow. yeah, really, really a high praise for this guy. And you know, like I said, in nineteen ninety three, he was someone I looked up to just as a as a youngin because of that Phillies tie in. But then when I started playing in in high school, that was his. World Series winning wheelhouse. So really just somebody I looked up to. And actually, he's he's most notable for, uh, in 2004, the Bloody Sock game. I'm sure that's uh, that's something that anyone who is even a, a kind of peripheral baseball fan would remember. I think that game made him immortal in Boston, if not many other places. Yeah, so game six of the 2004 World Series. Injured ankle, so injured, in fact, that blood was coming through the sock. Yet he won that game, which pushed it to a, a seventh game, and the Red Sox won the World Series that year. So, yeah, something that and, – and I guess there's a little controversy around that. I think someone at some point – I think it was like a talk radio show guy came out and said actually it was uh, – he got word that it was red paint and not blood. Um, I don't know about that, but the, the lore is there nonetheless. And, yeah, I remember watching that game as a college freshman, and, you know, intramural softball was, was taking place later that week. And just really, really inspiring, Jack. You just took a exacto knife and just cut your uh, your leg right open, yeah, right out there, from yeah. um, all the coeds. Yeah. Now, now the uh, the tie in to what you referenced before the break of Jeff Bagwell and his steroids, um, Kurt Schilling is actually known for being a very outspoken critic of these players that uh, supposedly were using steroids, and he, I believe, was a part of the the steroid trial too. But he was there, like testifying against his fellow players, which that was kind of seen as a, as a little bush league of a move. Uh, you know, all these kind of players stuck together; they shared locker rooms. There's like that camaraderie that comes out of that. Uh, but he was one of the few players that kind of uh, 
he was up there calling out his fellow pitchers, Roger Clemens, and some of these other people saying, oh, these guys are on steroids. Uh, look into them. They should have their Cy Youngs pulled away, and all their records should be tossed out of the record book. So he kind of violated that code, which I thought that was a, one of the sorry things that he did later in life. Hmm. You think you th- was that was that the reasoning though? Is that why you feel like he's fallen from uh, grace in your eyes? Oh, uh, there's more. That goes. That's on. the start of it. That was See, the tie-in. That okay. was the tie-in to uh, what you what you said. Yeah, I don't know. I can't. I can't fault him for wanting to. You know, make sure the game is fair. You know, okay. I guess. All right, so I'm there, I'm writing down notes here. Jack is a is a Kurt Schilling uh, defender. So far, right. <laughs> you'll have to go on to give me more information, but I will say that that's at least a gray area. Okay, so he's also a a, a big history buff. Uh, he's a collector, Jack. Oh no, oh no. Uh, he's got an extensive World War II collection. We'll call it. Okay. Um, in fact, like some some pictures and videos came out. Uh, quite a quite an abundance of swastika laden clothing uh as a part of this collection lots of nazi memorabilia not because jack he has any any uh feelings towards that just because he likes to collect history i'm gonna gonna have to go ahead and edit out me defending <laughs> you cannot do that nope oh i can tell <laughs> who edits this show who has oh, two no. thumbs and edits this show oh no um Okay, so in 2016, he became uh, a member of the highly regarded website Breitbart as a oh. as a contributor. I take it all back. I take it all back, Dan. I'm sorry. Yeah, and and kind of the last more recent thing is uh, you know he uses that Twitter app quite quite frequently. Yeah. Um, something he did actually. This just comes to mind. This is not necessarily part of the fall from grace, but I do remember he had a daughter who was some sort of collegiate athlete or something like that. And I believe some Yankees fans kind of started razzing her. Uh, and he went and basically, I guess the term now is doxed all of those Yankees fans that were that were kind of um, razzing his, his college athlete daughter. And several of them lost their jobs. Uh, some of them worked kind of in like the Yankees ticketing department, things like that. Wow. And yeah, he, he doxed them all and called them out and kind of put them on blast on social media to the point where they lost their real life job. So um, yeah, kind of a Twitter warrior there. But most recently, he's been a very outspoken supporter of the January 6th uh, Capitol riots. Um, big fan. Big fan of uh, right to free speech, Jack. Suboptimal, Dan. Suboptimal yeah. is what you're telling me. So anyways, that's uh, Kurt Schilling, the man who I, I definitely looked up to as a, as a elementary school pitcher and definitely no longer look up to. Okay, so there you have it. We've We've stayed in a certain segment here right we uh started with power ranger and we've moved to baseball let's move on slightly here to something that dan and i have a little more personal information or personal experience with and that is the world of professional wrestling Mm. and this individual is far more direct in terms of me being disappointed and uh so I guess it's a little bit different from what we've discussed so far. This is a number of directions. I don't know where you're going with this, but there's a whole lot of disappointment that can be had <laughs> in, this, in this genre. Yeah. Okay. So uh, to reset here, Daniel and I are both former independent professional wrestlers. We we were on DVDs that were distributed internationally, uh, uh, supposedly. We were on nationally televised TV and pay-per-view. International pay-per-view, Jack. Oh, sorry. Sorry, I forgot about that part. 
And as an independent wrestler, from time to time, you will be convinced that you need to go and do a pro wrestling clinic with someone who is famous. You will turn over your dollars to go get in a ring somewhere far away so that you may have the opportunity to wrestle in front of a famous person. And I'm guessing, I mean, if looking in retrospect, part of that is to improve your wrestling because that famous person is going to tell you how to get famous like them. Or the hope is they're going to say, Hey kid, I like what you've got there. Let me uh, help you get on the TV. Take you under my wing and, and take you with me to the big show. But really and truly, in retrospect, I'm assuming maybe you think this way too, but I, I'm just under the assumption that these were mostly just paydays for guys. Is, am I off? Am I, am I far off on that? No, you're, you're not far off. Um, yeah, real quick, so I don't steal your thunder, but I did attend one of these clinics, and this is a super short story because it's no fall from grace, but it was... Uh, it was a Terry Taylor who was also known as the Red Rooster, and I attended one of his clinics. Yep. And a uh, good good friend of yours and mine, Scott McKenzie, and myself were the uh, the tag team du jour at the time, and we thought it would be real great to get some some real fancy pants, eight by tens printed up with stats on the back and all kinds of stuff, so that when we impressed Terry Taylor at this clinic, we'd give him our eight by tens and he'd be able to take them back to Vince McMahon and tell him who to hire. <laughs> uh, we handed them to him after this clinic. He said, Oh, great. Thanks boys. I'll, I'll hold on to these. Well, about 30 feet away was the trash can on the way out the door. And, uh, he headed out the door first. And a few minutes later, as we headed out, happened to look into the trash can and see those, those there eight by 10 sitting in there. So, um, that clinic was not success for us, but but carry on because I'm sure I'm sure this the clinic you're about to describe was definitely more successful. Well, I don't know that it, I can't really say that it was, but I will say that uh, the difference here probably was that uh, Tugboat Taylor was was not a big hero of yours. No, I'm assuming this. Uh, yeah, not not Tugboat Taylor. Terry Taylor. Terry Taylor was not a a uh, a big. Also not a also not a hero. Not a big, not a big hero of yours. No. For me, the clinic that I want to just briefly discuss was was held by someone who I would say I definitely was fond of, and, and I I was always a big fan of the B side wrestlers, right? Mm -hmm. The uh, the mid carters, like I I thought the the top of the you know the Rock and the Stone Cold and all those guys, I thought they were super cool, but everybody thought that. I was always a big fan of the working man wrestlers. You know, mm -hmm. the guys that weren't on your TV in primetime. These were the guys that if you stayed up too late on Saturday night, you could watch them do something really cool. I was all, I still am. Like, I feel like my favorite wrestling memories, and anytime I'll have a couple of adult pops and turn on the YouTube. Have you heard of the YouTube, Dan? I'll turn that on, and I'll watch some, you know, shotgun Saturday night. I think mm. that that was my favorite stuff. Classic, because it, it was all it was. It, they don't make wrestling like that anymore, right? It was characters and like, you know, just all sorts of weirdness. I loved it. I I just eat all that stuff up. And one of my favorite guys in that that uh, ilk of wrestler was a man by the name of Al Snow. Ah, yes. Yeah. I will. I will turn the the table here the turntables over to you, Dan, and let you kind of give your professional description, just brief synopsis of what the Al Snow was. Yeah, so he was kind of a, a 
balance between like that edgy character, but also he had some street credibility. So he came up starting into ECW, which was kind of that cool renegade wrestling federation. But then he moved on to WWE, which was like the big show. But somehow he was able to carry his character over from ECW to WWE. And uh, the character was kind of this crazy guy that talked to himself uh, and also talked to his uh, mannequin head that he would carry around. And uh, the the catchphrase that everyone loved was he would ask, what does everybody want? And then he'd hold up the mannequin head and then the crowd would scream, head. And the double entendre there was just something that, uh, you know, the kids in us loved. And and I think that's where that's, you know, where maybe that initial credibility started with you because you really love to yell head at the television set. Who didn't? Who doesn't? Who doesn't? Who doesn't just walk into a room right now and just yell head at a TV? The other thing I really liked about him was the, uh, you know, the the 90s was the the heyday of stables. Like in wrestling, you had... Degeneration X and New World Order and all these other different things, and and he was in kind of a tongue in cheek kind of a parody stable called the Job Squad, mm. and I just loved because it, it was it was it was I think that was the um, the thing that I really dug was like the guys that just made fun of the fact that they were there to make other people look cool. You know that's yep. and I I really. When I wrestled, that was kind of my thing. I was like, I want to be cool, but I would rather go out there and be able to make other people look really cool because there's not a lot of focus on that, right? Yep. So, anywho, big fan of 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 the Al Snow in my in my in my childhood. And uh, once one day we we get a phone call, and uh, the phone call said that we should go down to the uh, the Galveston area. And that uh, Al Snow would be there putting on a uh, a clinic, right? And young Jack Drastic, who wasn't a I wasn't a, a household name like the Danny Franks or the Scott McKenzie by any means, but I was okay. Like I I could I could move around and work a little bit in the wrestling ring. So I was like, heck, let's do it. So got my pennies together, went down, paid money to get in a ring and grapple with a bunch of other guys in spandex. And uh, in front of the Al Snow, and you know, we we did some stuff. And um, ah, here's the thing about wrestling kids: if you're any other type of artist or athlete, it's not really frowned upon for you to walk up to another athlete or artist that you admire and say, "Hey, I'm I'm a big fan of your work." But for whatever weird backass reason, in professional wrestling, you're not supposed to quote unquote mark out i mean that's that's a phrase from wrestling well jack didn't care and jack decided (laughs) this was my opportunity to say to someone who meant something very very sincere to me i really enjoy your stuff so i walked up to al snow after a break and he was standing with a couple of other notable texas wrestlers and i just said very politely Excuse me, sir. I just wanted to say, big fan, huge fan. I've been watching you for years. Uh, you know, saw you at my college in Denton, Texas, which was you probably don't remember, but that was a huge night for me. I got to say hi to you after, and I was like, I just thank you. You know, just just you know, and not not like you know, I was very polite about it. Not like, oh my god, can we get a selfie? I was just like, hey, just thank you. He gave me the 
biggest stink face. <laughs> Who the f is this kid? Please let him make him go away. Look, and that was uh, it was the end of a a part of Jack. It really was because I walked. Think- I walked away, and then later that night. We did our match, and I didn't. I was like, "This guy already hates me, so I don't care." I just went through the motions, and it was such a dang bummer, man. It was really, and still, still to this day, just recounting this. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Like, this isn't, you know, a comparable. This isn't like the third string quarterback from the Cowboys walking up to Tom Brady after the game and being like, "Hey, man, really think you're uh, you're doing great things out there." You know, it's not that. Like, and even if that did happen, you got to think Tom Brady would be like, "Cool, thanks, man." Right? Like, but more picture. I don't know that third string quarterback of the Cowboys approaching a, a rookie quarterback from the, uh, you know, you name it, just some some spare team. It's not like you're approaching, you know, the Stone Colds or the Rocks like you talked about. Yeah. It's somebody that's just there. Um, that really, honestly, should kind of be appreciative that anyone feels enough <laughs> enough about you to to make that comment or to say that thing or to go out of their way to say it um yeah so to act that way that's that's super lame um yeah yeah that's a bummer i would say more so even than the jeff bagwell thing for me that because it was so direct and it haunts me to this day like there wasn't a moment when i was like oh man jeff bagwell might be uh, oh no you know like but this one moment with al snow just uh so sad now, I remember you telling me a story, and it might not have been him. It might have been another another letdown incident where you had approached a, a, a one of these higher echelon wrestlers and asked them for any tips and any pointers, and they basically told you, yeah, you need to get on steroids. Yeah. Well, that was the other, yeah, that was the other clinic. I went to two clinics, and I, I, I guess I won't name that name because I've already gone out on a limb naming one name. <laughs> but, uh, yes, uh, the first clinic I did very early in my wrestling uh, that was the advice given to, it wasn't directly to me, but it was to a group very, and we were all very similar. And it was the exact words, which I will never unhear, were, you need to get really big, really fast. <laughs> and so, <laughs> wink, yeah. wink, nudge, nudge, kick under the table. You know what that yeah. means. No, that was, uh Huh. That was a moment that uh, started started the downfall for sure. <laughs> I'm glad to bring that back up. Oh, what in the heck is going on? Jeez. Greetings, men who are seeking tomahawks. Hoo hoo, hiya. Dan, Dan, come here. Call, call me crazy, but I think the person who just materialized from a lightning bolt in the studio. That might actually be a real-life Power Ranger. This is a big day for you. I know. I can actually hardly contain my excitement. <clears throat> Excuse me, Mr. Power Ranger. Uh, apologies in advance, but I don't recognize the color of your power suit. What should we refer to you as? It's me, of course, the Persimmon Ranger. But you can call me PR, since those are my initials. Also, I'm here to do a little public relations damage control. You see, it's a bit of a fun wordplay here. <laughs> Hoo-hoo. Hi-ya. <laughs> okay. Uh, what are you needing to do damage control on? 
Well, you see, uh, I was waiting in the green room about to go on uh, the podcast that records in the studio next door. You know, cooking with DeBrickashaw Ferguson. Oh, yeah. Anyway, I couldn't help but overhear you discussing that homophobic fraudster, the Red Ranger. Mm. Yeah, it's a pretty big bummer to hear that someone I watched so much as a kid turned out to be such a douchebag. Not a good look for us Power Rangers. Not at all. And I'm here to set the record straight with our adoring fans. We have in no uncertain terms parted ways with the Red Ranger. Hoo-hoo. Hiya. Wow. So you're telling us that the Red Ranger, a.k.a. Jason, a.k.a. Jason Lawrence Geiger, a.k.a. Austin St. John, is no longer affiliated with the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers? That's right. That's correct. We did not feel that Jason, a.k.a. Jason, a.k.a. Austin Saint, reflected the wholesome, socially aware values that have always, always been a cornerstone of the Power Rangers organization. Say, do you guys mind if I smoke in here? (coughs) What in the world? What is that smell? That does not smell like tobacco or anything else that I recognize. Well, obviously it's meth. Tobacco is awful. Does nothing to ease the stress of fighting Rita Repulsa's minions. Not to mention the additional stress of having to smooth over the public relations disaster every time that Red Ranger builds millions from the government. Or the Pink Ranger records one of those videos where she crushes a kitten's skull with her high heels. (laughs) The least you could do, Dan, the least you could do is let me take a trip to Mighty Morphin Flavor Country. (laughs) Listen, uh, Persimmon, PR, aren't you just a little worried about the effects of, you know, smoking meth? Like, I feel like losing a couple teeth or having a heart attack probably wouldn't reflect too well on the Power Rangers either. Not an issue. You know, the big stupid floaty magic head we have in the jar, Zordon? Well, if I uh, lose a couple of teeth... Boom, he magically makes me new teeth. He's a floaty wizard head. If my heart explodes like a Ford Pinto, one of those spares from Power Rangers, Dino Thunder, or Time Force, or some other lame spinoff goes mysteriously missing. Boom, brand new heart. (laughs) That is terrible. Is it, Dan? Tell me. Who's the Dino Force's Yellow Ranger? That's right. You don't know. Nobody does. Why make spin-off teams if not to maintain a deep rust of schmucks to appear at children's birthday parties and to stock up on potential organ donors? <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, <clears throat> if you're just joining us, we're speaking with the Persimmon Ranger, he of the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Whoa there, fella. I think someone just assumed my pronouns. Don't make me have to do some karate on your face. Hoo-ha! Oh, the meth is starting to kick in. Uh, Apologies. Apologies, PR. Sorry. I wasn't able to ask you about your pronouns in advance of our interview, you know, given the fact that you lightning bolted into the studio unannounced. 
Uh, hold on though, tell me. I've never seen a Power Ranger wearing fur boots. Can you tell us why you're wearing those? Well, as you know, the Power Rangers all have their own mechanoids that take the form of prehistoric creatures. My mechanoid, or Zord if you will, resembles the prehistoric ancestor of the ferocious Chinchilla. Okay, uh, PR, two-part question. Uh, one, seeing as every other Zord is based off a gigantic dinosaur, why is yours inspired by a very small rodent? And follow-up question, are we to assume that your boots are made of very non-PC, real, animal fur? For one, I'll have you know that the ancient ancestor of the modern chinchilla was a pure killing machine and grew to be as big as two sometimes three chinchillas my zord kind of looks like a rat skateboard and maybe it's the meth talking but nothing strikes fear into the hearts of evildoers like a man in a skin tight leotard and goofy helmet coming at you full speed on a rat skateboard Uh, and what what about what about the fur i will never Never not honor the little chinchilla souls that gave their lives to ensure that my boots matched my Power Rangers motif. Luckily, I keep a bottle of scissor tucked under my belt so that I can always pour one out for the homies. All 200 of them. Oh, wow. Oh, no. It took 200 chinchillas to make your boots? And another 500 for the matching vest I sometimes wear when I'm a little chilly around the office. Sometimes, oh gosh. You know, Persimmon, between the meth, the harvesting of teammates' organs, the unethical fur trade... Ah, uh, the, the kitten-crushing videos. <sighs> the kitten-crushing videos. I'm starting to think that perhaps the Red Ranger defrauding the government was less of an outlier than you made it out to sound at the beginning. <gasps> I am taken aback by such an accusation. Aback, I say. Why, I haven't even been this offended since the Black Ranger told me I can't say the N-word, even if it's in a rap lyric. Good day, sirs. (sighs) Wow. Never meet your heroes, Dan. Heroes. But do say adios to this installment of Men Seeking Tomahawks. Be sure to subscribe to the program wherever finer podcasts are sold. Become a tomahawk-seeking person by joining us on Insta, Twitter, Zombocom, and etc. And to hear more from the musicians featured on the program, go to menseekingtomahawks.com. For Dan, I'm Jack. For Jack, I'm Dan. Oh, Jack, he's going after your chinchilla. Oh, no. oh my chinchy!